Fusapod, conversations about creativity, community, and the things that matter. Loneliness kills. Earlier this year, Fortune magazine analyzed findings from 70 scientific studies. They found that loneliness, isolation, and living alone all had a significant effect on a person's risk for early death. Loneliness affects people of all ages, but older people are particularly vulnerable. In this episode of Fusapod, we hear from Mealy Glenn and Adam Green from Clatch. Clatch is a service that is ending loneliness among seniors. Clatch removes the barriers to making meaningful connections in person that create lasting change and improve healthy aging. I'm Li Shan Huang. So the theme today is about community as it relates to health and how social interactions can help seniors and the people who care for them, their families, their caretakers, to really improve their health outcomes, right? So it's not just having somebody to talk to, but that having somebody to talk to creates mechanisms of checking in about your health and, and doing all of that. So it's about changing behavior and culture, right? Absolutely. So when you're lonely, your brain produces cortisol, and it, which is a stress hormone, and creates a certain side kinds of behavior. And when you make a connection, a genuine connection with someone, your body produces oxytocin, which is the happiness hormone, and that, that leads to also good behaviors. And that starts to drive health behaviors, such as uh, your effects on diabetes, uh, cognitive issues, uh, other chronic diseases. So the project that you're working on, Clutch, how does that work or how will it work? So Clutch is a service that helps older adults build new connections so that they can age in place well. And so what happens is as you age, you start to lose your network. People pass away. People move away. And in many cases, those older adults, as they start to experience loss, they don't have the skills to make new connections. Part of that is they're out of practice because they had a group of friends and and people that they knew and they didn't go out and have to build new groups of friends. And part of it is that as they start to become lonely, one of the effects of loneliness is it drives behavior that makes it harder to connect. And that's got to do with biology and neuroscience, but that's part of the problem. So what Clutch seeks to do is create secure and comfortable places where people can begin to make new connections. And as they make those connections and oxytocin starts to flow and happiness starts to flow, the sort of risk, uh, reward behavior of the brain starts to work that they'll seek more of that positive behavior and less of the the less positive behavior. It reminds me of these, what do they call them, the blue zones, where people, the average lifespan tends to be pretty old, right? Like places like some islands in Greece and in Okinawa in the south of Japan. And one of the factors beyond diet and exercise tends to be social connection, right? They're often in these village or small town environments where everybody knows everyone and you still keep in touch until your 70s and 80s with the people you went to kindergarten with. And what's great about those zones is 
they keep feeding new people into it. So as people age and retire, they're integrated into the community. And so there's this constant flow of new connections and a place where people can comfortably get to know each other without the feelings of apprehension and anxiety that really come about when people are already feeling lonely. So when you're feeling lonely, you feel less secure about yourself, and when you feel less secure about yourself, it's much harder to connect with other people. And so these zones are, are really, for me, a, a model of how do we go from a place where we may feel somewhat lonely or isolated, even in a large city like New York, to a place where you can be connected like that. I believe that within local neighborhoods, that same concept of the Blue Zone should be able to be recreated, and it's up to Clark to create the environment where those connections can happen. So, Adam, you're, you said you're a banking guy, finance guy. Neely, you do have a design background. So how did you get to Clutch as an idea? So for me, Clutch was totally uh, born of a personal experience. Uh, my father uh, retired when he was 75. My mother ultimately landed up passing away a couple of years later. And for the first time in my father's 77 years, he was by himself. And while we were living not far away and we're seeing him regularly, he didn't have a local network of friends that he could play cards with, go to the movies, hang out at the diner. And so increasingly he was lonely and by himself. And we found that there was really nothing we could do to help him overcome that loneliness other than seeing him ourselves. And over time we started to notice that his behavior changed. So my father had been a salesman and was a very social person, and all of a sudden, he became much less social. And his diabetes, which had been well-controlled, became completely out of control. And eventually, he developed some cognitive issues that forced him to move in with us. And during this whole period, I was trying to figure out how to have him meet other people. And he didn't want to go on dates, he went on a couple, he didn't want to do that. And ultimately there was nothing out there that would help foster that community building, even though he was living in a place where you would think there's a lot of community like the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And so from that, I started to think, why can't we create community from that? And all this technology was out there on social media, but the social media didn't seem to work for the older adults that I knew. And so as I started to really look at the research, understand the neuroscience, see what the group dynamic and social network theorists were saying, I came to realize that there isn't really a way today to connect people using the tools that are out there to let them connect in the real world. And I thought, we can come up with a way to do that. And if we can, that has applications even beyond older adults because loneliness is such a big issue. Right, it seems like it's hard enough being over 30 to make new friends, let alone being over 60 or 70, right? That's, that's right, it's, it's, it's really hard to go out and meet new people, and a lot of it has to do with how you're feeling about yourself. And so when you start to become lonely, all those self-measures of confidence and uh, the ability to go and say hello to somebody that you don't know and to reveal something about yourself that is the real essence of meaningful connection become much more risky behaviors. And it's why, if we think back sort of historically, why 
that behavior happens because it's a protection mechanism. And so you really need to help people be in a safe space so that they can connect with other people. And it's a little bit easy to do that with peers. Um, it's, it's better if it can happen intergenerationally. And that's really the sort of ultimate goal of Clodge, that you can have an intergenerational connection between people. I think part of the civic issue around um, connection and social cohesion and um, increasing the way that people connect is, that interests me most, is really around technology, but technology is really just the enabler. And the real attraction for me in, in this solution is the way that technology becomes secondary to this, but also an important part to the puzzle. Right, so it's about breaking up this big problem of loneliness and isolation into smaller, actionable steps that you can design around. And I think it's not so much, you know, the focus is not necessarily on this concept of loneliness. It's also the concept of connection, I think, is a more important way to phrase it. Mm -hmm. Because there are different ways that we approach that idea. Uh, what's meaningful connection as opposed to what's something casual? What's the difference between wanting to attend something with somebody that you may not know very well, like some sort of event, versus feeling really connected and um, having a support network. I think that's really compelling to reframe it from just solving a problem of loneliness to fostering something positive like connection, as you say. Um, and how is it different from these other forms of civic and associational life where it's about joining something? Like my grandfather was part of Rotary or one of those kind of groups, which seems totally old school now, or like people who are part of, I don't know, like bowling leagues or golf clubs or, or things like that. So how does this fill this gap or this void now that our culture is changing? It's unfortunate, first of all, that those groups became sort of old school and people don't do that anymore because those were the binds that held those communities together. It was the opportunity where you could meet like-minded people and get to know them in a very friendly environment. And so what needs to happen now is a recreation of that. Before, if we think about things like Elks and Rotary Club, you didn't need to have a passion about anything. You just had to be civic-minded and you showed up and you were part of the group. So when you look out at other good uh, technology-based services like Meetup, you really need to have a passion about a particular thing. Nobody's having meetups that are really well attended where it's just, we're going to meet up and, you know, hang out. Right. That's, that's not a meetup. Right. So, Clutch looks to create a space where people can have more, something more akin to the, to the Rotary Club and the Elks Club and the, and the Bowling League, where people can get together for no reason just because they're going to be together and get to know each other. It's interesting because there's been a rise, especially in urban spaces, urban centers like New York, of these third spaces, right? There's, we're in a co-working space right now. There are, there are coffee shops, but in some ways we're still kind of co-working alone, but it's still very much this transactional space of I'm just renting space for my entrepreneurial venture, for my solo company or whatever that is, um, and not really interacting despite having the physical spaces to facilitate that if we wanted to. There's this difference between being alone and being lonely. And so it's totally possible to be in a room full of people and be lonely and to be by yourself and not be lonely. 
And so those two things are, are not mutually exclusive. And so it's the meaningful connection that makes you not lonely, not the isolation necessarily. And so that's really an important concept. We need to find a way to break through that barrier that sits between real connection that people make. And it doesn't have to be the deepest connection. It has to be, hey, let me tell you what happened today and feel comfortable about doing that as opposed to just saying, well, how's it going? Yeah, it's all good. Everything is fine. The difference between loneliness and being alone is alone. being alone is an objective state. So you're either with people or you're not. Being lonely is the difference between your expectations about what the kinds of connections you're going to have and what actually occurs in your life. And it's that gap between the expectations and reality that creates the feelings of loneliness and that drives not just behavior, but real brain chemistry in, in terms of an individual. And so that's really the essence. What you need to do is align those two things so that people's expectations and their reality come closer to matching. And when you do that, all this great stuff happens, including you know, people's life expectancy goes up, their quality of life improves, their chances of having diseases like Alzheimer's and uh, CPD go down. So that's really the, the critical thing. It's to align those two different things between expectation and, and, and reality. The National Association of uh, Psychologists just had their annual conference and they defined loneliness as their number one uh, crisis in America. It's much worse than uh, obesity. So obesity is four times smaller of a problem and it's less prevalent. And so we think of obesity as such a huge issue, but loneliness is a much more pandemic issue. Wow. And loneliness could be a feeder cause into obesity and these other related issues too. Absolutely. What happens is when you're lonely, you start to take on really bad behaviors. Um, and those behaviors go away when you stop being lonely. So, and we think in our own lives, it, it works that way. You know, when you're feeling bad about yourself and you're alone, you know, the what's the famous thing of people going into the refrigerator and eating a tub of ice cream? You know, those are bad behaviors. And if you're chronically lonely and they're happening all the time, a bunch of bad stuff happens. So on that idea of the difference between being alone and being lonely, there's also this social media issue, right? And I think we've established now that social media is not just for young people. Like my parents are on Facebook, for example, right? And they're in their 60s. And so in terms of this loneliness, like you could have hundreds of Facebook friends and still feel lonely, right? And so... What is Clatch doing that's different from a social network necessarily? The face-to-face. -face this is this is really the central part of Clutch. That what we know, because there actually have been studies on this, is that only face-to-face -face interaction really works in most cases. It's possible to have a genuine connection online, but what tends to happen is people create false personas they you know, want to show how great their life is. And this is true, by the way, among older adults as well as among younger people, where you see that there's a, a bias in terms of what you post and how you post that creates these false personas. And that absolutely leads to either a neutral outcome or actually a negative outcome. 
So Clot seeks to use technology and social media not as an end game, but to bring people out into the real world and have them meet in their local community. And the fact that it's local is important because this is where older adults live and as you retire and you have health issues and mobility issues, having them local is really, really important. So how have you been testing and validating this so far? So we're doing a number of different things to validate some of the ideas we have. One of the things that we've done is we've created a series of vignettes on personas, different people within the category that we think are typical of what we're going to find, and we're testing whether those personas are correct, so that as we start to design the different aspects of Clutch, it's meaningful to the different personas that we've created. We're also doing a whole uh, other number of different validations around where we're meeting, how the facilitation works. We've looked at the, uh, the AA model, and we think that's a really important model for us, because AA meetings are self-facilitated, they occur all the time, uh, they're self-generating, and while we're not coming at things from an addiction or sort of mental health solution, we do think that that's a, a good model for what we would like Clotch ultimately be. The other thing we're, we're starting to look at in terms of the facilitation side and how we're going to validate the, the facilitation model is using different ways to educate people to be facilitators within the Clutch environment. So you're a member of Clutch, you're a self-facilitator in that group that you're in. How do you train those people to do that? And we're looking at also the validation methodology for that as well. Yeah, that's great. It seems like you know a big part of communities, of any community, whether it's AA, as you mentioned, or religious communities, or just even communities of interest, like a bowling league, is that there are certain rituals, right, that help us create patterns for behavior, even if those rituals, um, you know, like in an AA meeting where there, there's like a way to start things and a way to end things and ways to, to listen and respond and, and things like that that just give people a bit of a template, right? Because in, in design and art, we often talk about this idea of the the terror, the tyranny of the blank canvas, right? Where it's like, when it's so open-ended, you don't know what to do, but if it's it's a little bit more structured, if you can sort of you know paint by numbers, or if you can kind of fill in the blanks, it makes things a little bit easier to start. Yeah, I really love that uh, idea of the tyranny of, of the blank canvas. It's uh, something I feel like... It's another way to say being comfortable in creativity. It's, it's a scary thing, though, when you yeah. get up in the morning and, you know, if the day is not super structured and you've got a new idea that you've got to start to think about, a validation methodology that you're going to come up with, that's really, that really is a scary moment when you sit down at the table and go, oh, my God, I need to create something from scratch here. And that's really where, at least for me, I fall back on these couple of tools that I've started to bring into my life where it gives me a framework so all of a sudden it's not a blank canvas I've got you know a drawing on the on the canvas that is not filled in but it's structured and I can start to say oh I, I, I don't can't think about this whole idea but I can think about what I'm observing now 
I can think about what ultimately I'd love to have happen. I can think about who am I actually talking about in terms of the people here. And those kinds of, of structures that you can put out there really, I think, help you to begin a conversation, even with yourself, that helps to facilitate you to get to an answer that's, that's productive. Do you want to talk about this canvas that you have in your pocket? Yeah, yes. So one of the, the ones that uh, has been particularly helpful is this Innovator's Compass. And it's a pretty simple design. It's, it's, it's got a center where you have the people that you're going to be talking about. You have in the upper left-hand corner, you have your principles, like what matters most and why. On the upper right-hand side, you have your uh, ideas, your big ideas. What would be the, the ultimate solution to this stuff? Then down in the left-hand corner, you have observations. What are you seeing out in the world? And then finally, in the lower right-hand corner, you have experiments. And you start to put down what are the potential experiments that you can do that will facilitate your sort of discovery in this area. And for me, I've actually started to use this more and more. I, I need to use it even more than I am, but it does give me a framework to start to think about problems. And because with Clutch, I'm dealing with a whole series of challenges, breaking it down and looking at each one like this has been really a eye-opening experience. And so, I see on this compass that it's pointing on the right side to seeing see the future in new ways. What is a future scenario that you see? Like how if Clash, when Clash becomes successful and at scale, what does that future look like? So in my dreams of Clash really sort of fulfilling its mission is that there are people, uh, older adults, all over the country and even beyond who are forming new communities all the time, where they're meeting locally in the diner, in the museum, in the yoga studio, and that there's a comfort level of not just that initial get-together, but the continuity of really forming new communities. And ultimately, because they're happening in the community, that the clutches start to be intergenerational. And so it's not that you see a group of you know, silver-haired people sitting together, but you see people of all different ages talking about issues in their local neighborhood that matter to them and just having fun. And that would really be my sort of big dream for Clutch. Yeah, it really sounds like you're thinking about large-scale cultural and behavioral change, right? That the social media that we have today alone or these shared third spaces that we have today, whether it's these co-working spaces or coffee shops or whatever alone, aren't enough to foster the kinds of behavior and culture where people are making connections, where people are not lonely, even if they're not physically alone. That's right, and, and if we can do that, I think the fall-on behavior and outcome of that will just be tremendous. I think it'll be as transformative as the internet has been to the world and changed the way we really interact with each other. So if we can use technology to foster community as opposed to foster isolation and loneliness, 
that will change not just how people act in their individual lives, but I think it'll change how society works and will make us more bound to each other, which just looking out at the world today, it feels like it's not just that we're not bound to each other, but that we're coming apart at the seams. So the, the public health issue around loneliness is tremendous. So you're 35% more likely to die prematurely if you're lonely. You're twice as likely to have Alzheimer's. As we've said before, all these chronic diseases get worse and cost the system just tens of billions of dollars a year because these are the diseases that are the most expensive diseases. So when you have a disease like diabetes and you look at the billions of dollars it costs every year to treat people with diabetes and the worse their diabetes is, the worse the cost right. is. And the lonelier they are and it just kind of keeps it, 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 Absolutely. And so, and so there are tremendous opportunities, we think, for sponsorship. So it'll be interesting to see the reaction to insurance companies as they look at how do we address this issue. And you're starting to see at loneliness conferences and other public venues where this is on the table, where they're looking for solutions because they know not only is it a problem for them among this older adult contingent, but it's it's increasingly, as you move down the age scale, it's starting to become a bigger issue. And those behaviors that start even 15 years before you hit 60 start to drive that. That's amazing. You mentioned loneliness conferences, so that is a thing. Loneliness conferences are a thing. There was uh, one just a couple months ago here in New York uh, over at NYU Law School. Uh, one of the contingents was older adults, but there were other ones among loneliness in the workplace was one segment of the conference as well as loneliness among veterans. And so this is becoming a very big issue both on the research side as well as in the uh, public venue that you see people discussing it more because it's really a public health crisis. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Mealy, for joining us today. This is a really great conversation. Thank Thanks. You. Sure. FUSAPOD.